Once you understand these factors, you can begin to understand why there is an increase in mental health issues. And by understanding the derivation, meaning how these things got started, it makes it really difficult to stigmatize an individual, right? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast designed to coach you up in your faith. The more you know, the more you grow. The importance of growing your faith is more critical now than ever, and this is why you should invite people to be part of the Salty Pastor Podcast. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor <laughs> himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Welcome, everybody. I feel like I'm a game show host that just got introduced. <laughs> I brought a different energy today. <laughs> That is definitely different. So awesome. Yeah, it's good to be here with everybody today. We're just going to really dig into this new series that we got going on. There's a lot the scripture has to teach and say. Records a lot of experience with people dealing with mental health issues. But one of the things I need you to do, you've been doing it, but more and more of you need to do it is go over to our YouTube page and our YouTube channel and like and subscribe. So we're up in the hundreds now. We need to get to a thousand and, you know, the the, the the church, Foothills, has got, I don't know, 2,000 subscribers or whatever. So we'd like to try to get at least half of those for the Salty Pastor, especially if you're outside the Treasure Valley or Idaho. We'd love to have you be a part of our well, Salty Crew. Well, it costs you nothing. That's the other benefit cost is thing. you're helping us reach more people, and it literally costs you one button click, and that's all you're committing to is just yeah. one button click. And also on another note, I did Google sent me this note that said that Google is ending their podcasting or something, and so I don't know. Some of you may have Android, and you access this through Google accounts. So if you pop over to Apple Podcasts or another podcasting service like Spotify or something, be sure and give it a thumbs up or five stars or like or whatever because that also helps as well. Yep. Google's notorious for starting things and then immediately killing them within five to ten years. So (laughs) nothing new on the side of Google. But we are jumping off into something new that we're not planning on killing immediately after we started. Which is our new and we could say probably a little controversial series, Weeds in My Garden. The focus of this series is to have an honest conversation about mental health issues in our society. And that's something people don't really want to talk about, especially in church. I think that's the thing. It's like you hear it so much on on uh, media and through various other things, but most of the time it's because they want to put a spin on it. They want yeah. they want to use it as a, a, a beating stick for something else. Yeah, and or they don't have the tools or they don't have the knowledge or for whatever reason. And so we're going to solve all those problems right here on the Salty Pastor. Absolutely. And we are calling it Weeds in My Garden, and it sounds like a weird name for two reasons. One, um, this was actually inspired by a church in Missouri who did this series and gave it this title. And two, it's a metaphor uh, about how we at times are not honest about our lives. Sometimes there's weeds in our lives while we're presenting this garden, but there's weeds growing up in the garden. I mean, you can walk through almost anybody's garden unless they've sat there and meticulously pruned it. There's always going to be something, right? Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but I got a lot of weeds. Yeah, lots of weeds <laughs> in my garden. I got well, lots actually, of weeds my in garden my garden. Is weeds, but <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. Well, but, big shout out to that church in Missouri. It's it's a large multi-site church. Uh, called The Crossing. Uh, They put the initial kind of approach together. They even gave us the graphics and some resources to use. We're very thankful, incredibly thankful for that. Um, And everything we do, we want to give uh, credit where credit is due. But also we want to let you know that we have reworked it for purposes of our church community. 
and through podcasting and so forth because we have an opportunity to go deeper and, and go behind the scenes quite a bit more. And so we're going to be doing that. And uh, I think that what motivated the crossing that to kind of put this initially together and then offer it to other churches like they did us is they saw uh, uh, there's like a worship team that does, you know, Songhouse. So it's called Songhouse. Yep. And one of the, the, the gals on the team wrote a song about how she wasn't doing like she thought she was doing yeah, or whatever. There's a there's the songhouse is basically you get worship artists together and they just write songs like impromptu songs. Like they'll take three hours, they all go into a writer's room, come up with oh, wow. a chorus okay. of a song, and then they, they perform it. And so it's just try to try to uh, encourage creativity, to train up new songwriters, things of that nature. So it was just like off the cuff. And the so cuff. they recorded this thing and they threw it on like TikTok or YouTube reels or whatever. And it went viral. Yeah. You know, millions of viewers. And so they said, hmm, maybe we need to dig into this a little bit. Well, and I think it's you're going to see why it went viral because I think it hits on some very important notes. So let's actually watch it really quick and then we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. This song is called Being Honest. I tell you that I'm whole, but I'm still healing. I tell you that I'm happy, but I'm grieving. Thought I was a fighter. I'm still in the fire. song hits on so many levels, levels cause, yeah because one the so, like just the music of it's so good like yeah. you can't help but just kind of like bob your head to it but then on top of that she's using these phrases in these lyrics because she's the the lyric writer on this song and this is from her heart we watched a testimony from her and this is what she was going through this was not yeah. her trying to interpret the world around her this was her someone who was heavily involved in worship music should in theory being plugged into a church being a, a, a worship artist have it all together and she's like no i'm 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 presenting these roses even though i have all these weeds in my garden so that you don't yeah. see them right and yeah. so i think it's so beautiful that she was willing to be honest but she's t calling out something that i think as a whole our society is not willing to talk about which is that we're yeah. not doing okay mm -hmm. absolutely there's a lot of people not doing okay mm -hmm. and we aren't willing to let people see that yeah, I think people have difficulty being honest about some of these things for various reasons. Uh, I think that people are not aware of how we got here. Mm. To where, like on Tuesday, we talked about this massive increase of just mental health issues, and so we got to ask ourselves, how did we get to this point? And then after COVID, we saw a, a huge jump beyond that. Right, and so what? When we don't understand how we got someplace, right, then what we do is we tend to stigmatize what people are going through, mm. right? It's like we look at it like like driving, you know, and you, you drive somewhere and you end up at this destination and the passengers in the car go, why did you drive here? This was wrong. And then you go, well, I, 
I speak English and we're in Spain and all the signs are in Spanish and I don't read Spanish. I, I thought I was going in the right direction. So, so you see, when you go back and understand how you got somewhere, it, it, you go, oh, well maybe we should not stigmatize it. Well, and I, I, you could also take that analogy in another direction of driving. If you get cut off by somebody, you could sit there and raise your finger at them and scream at them. Yeah. But you don't know, maybe a pregnant wife is giving birth in the back yeah. of that car, and they're just trying to make it to the hospital to save their child. It's like, if you knew that, if you understood why they had made that choice, then you might go, okay, I maybe I could just give them a little, little bit of grace, grace today, exactly. right? Exactly. So, so, and that's what's that's what it does is it allows you to give grace when when you understand wh- how we got here. It allows you to give grace to people. It allows you to be honest about what's going on in your life, and it also allows you to be able to to know what part you can take ownership of. It, it, this is this is really important to understand is that in in the gospel message. Uh, because Christ died and he was in the grave for three days, and then he resurrected from the dead. It is a message of hope. Mm. And that is, is no matter how dead you are, he brings dead things back to life. So what we're saying is that no matter how bad it is, and regardless of how you got to where you're at, there's still hope, right? right. There's still hope. And so what I'd like to do is is something they didn't do this. The original church didn't do this, but it's, you know, kind of my thing that I think is really important. We lean important. into our strengths. Yeah, I'm leaning towards my wheelhouse, and that is how do we get to where we are today? And why are we seeing such a massive increase? And why is it that the younger generations report so much higher levels? Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about four main things, okay, real quick. Uh, and we'll probably dig into these more as time goes on. But number one is there was a radical shift in our society from an agrarian manufacturing society to a mental skill set society, right? So up until the 40s or the 50s, even into the 60s, the majority of society was either working on a farm or they were manufacturing, you know? And what that meant is every single day for eight hours, 10 hours a day, you were doing physical labor, Mm. right? And back then, there were, you know, in the 50s, there were no gyms, right? Unless you were a bodybuilder, right? There maybe one town had a gym where you could go lift weights. Gyms were non-existent. Because it well, wasn't needed. Because it wasn't needed, yeah. You know, I mean, the best shape people were guys who grew up on ranches. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, going out and playing eight-man football, picking up a guy and throwing him somewhere, well, that's nothing because he bucks hay all day, right? right? So, anyway, that's kind of the point is that, that had a significant rates of depression, stress, and anxiety among blue-collar workers today. Physical workers is significantly lower than white-collar workers, okay? The only place that this is different, and you could debate on whether it's a blue-collar job or not, is among first responders. Mm. So stress and depression and anxiety is much lower by a significant amount among blue-collar workers than it is among white-collar workers. Okay. Well, well, why is that? Well, one of the things that we've talked about, and we'll dig into this, is that some types of depression and stress are what? They're situational. Right. right? And so we tell people, you know, therapists say, you need to go work out. You need to go for a walk. We've talked about this in the past. Sometimes going and helping somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're seeing tangible uh, fruit of your labor each day when you're in a blue-collar job, Right. You know, you go in, you're framing a house, you stand up this many walls, you hang this many rafters or whatever may be the case. You walk away and go, wow, I did that. So that has an impact on your mental health a little bit. All right. Not in every case, 
confident in some cases, all right? Number two, there was a radical shift in our worldview, particularly in the 60s going into the 70s, a radical shift in our worldview. Our society moved from modernism, all right, which is a philosophical construct. Uh, it basically says in modernism there is an objective truth. There's a truth that exists outside of us, and we should try to find or discover it. This is where mathematics came from. This is where science came from, all the sciences, from astrophysics and uh, quantum mechanics all the way down to biology, right? And so, hey, there is a so, uh, an objective truth, and we want to try to discover what it is, right? And we move from that to what is called postmodernism. And postmodernism says there is no objective truth. It's all a matter of perspective. And now this is one of the main reasons why there was a massive rise in PTSD from World War I vets to Iraq War vets, okay? And the, the reason why is because when you remove that there's an objective right and wrong and you send people to war, you've removed the mental construct on which they have to deal with what they're doing, right? A lot of the guys who came back from World War II you know, they came back, and, and they're, they, they're called the greatest generation. They started the baby boomers, right? They had more kids. They built more things. They expanded our economy like no tomorrow. They did all of these healthy things, and PTSD was so much less. Well, why? Well, because they saw themselves doing hard, bad things, right? Going to war, suffering, even killing other human beings because they were stopping a greater evil. Well, Today, we tell young people, well, there is no evil, there's no right, there's no bad, there's no good, it's just a matter of perspective. And then you get songs like Bruce Springsteen's song, you know, you know, born in the U.S. Why am, you, why am I being sent somewhere to kill somebody I don't even care about, right? Uh, they never did me any wrong. And so, now, that may be an emotion that a lot of people have, questions a lot of people have. That's legit. My point is, is that when you remove the worldview that says there's a right and a wrong and there's some things worth fighting for, what you do is you take away the capacity for people to uh, manage and navigate through difficult moral times, okay? Number three, our educational philosophy changed in the 70s. In the 60s, it has accelerated in the 80s under the Clinton administration. And that is our society... Um, and I've stated this before often on the Salty pa Pastor, is, is not focused on what's being taught as much as how they are teaching young people to think. So when you're trying to think as a postmodern deconstructionist, which, of course, no one ever says that's what they're doing in educational philosophy, but that's exactly what they are doing. I mean, you can see it. Uh, then you create a mental and emotional outcome, Right. So when you change the way of thinking, it has an outcome, all right? For instance, uh, according to The Lancet, they surveyed 10,000 young people between the ages of 16 and 24 years of age. And you know what they found? 84% are, have anxiety and are worried about climate change. 46% mm. claim that climate change anxiety affects their life every single day. They change the way they're living every single day because of their anxiety, all right? 50, uh, 46%, that's almost 50% according to The Lancet. So, uh, psychologists have now created a disorder called uh, climate anxiety syndrome. And so what happens is young people feel that the earth is doomed under this syndrome. The earth is doomed, there's nothing they can do about it, so they have no future, so why try? 
I mean, that's pretty significant when you think about it. Guess when the whole issue of climate change started? Do you know when it started? No. It started after the election in 2000 between Al Gore and George W. Bush. There was a big controversy about who won Florida. And then after that, Al Gore lost. And then about two or three years later, he brought out a movie called An Inconvenient Truth. And today, of course, every scientist out there says that it's filled with falsehoods and things of that nature. But it launched this whole no notion of climate change. So that started in about 2004, just 20 years ago. So we've raised an entire generation and basically scared them to death over this. Now, that doesn't mean that there's maybe some things we need to deal with. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that what our educational philosophy has done is because of their deconstructionist postmodernism approach, they have used climate change and they have actually created a psychological disorder called climate anxiety syndrome. Here's another example that's very controversial, but hey, I'm the salty pastor. I'm happy to talk about it. Call me if you think I'm wrong. But if you dislike minorities, if you do not want minorities to succeed in America, if you don't want them to reach their full potential, if you want to control them and manipulate them and at times deceive them, then the best way to do that is tell them that there is an invisible force out there that can stop them uh, no matter how hard they try, no matter how much effort they put in, they will never succeed because there's this thing out there called white privilege and they can't have it. You see, what does that do to people who, who are growing up in that environment? You know, initially you think, well, I'm here to help. But like we were talking earlier, sometimes people in the church who want to help end up not helping. They mm -hmm. hurt, right? This is another perfect example. Well, we want to help people, but all you're doing is hurting them, right? You're hurting them. And that, that is, that is uh, I've seen a lot of leaders in the black community have now been speaking out very strongly on this and say, stop talking about that around my family and my kids and our people and our church, because what you're doing is you're creating this, this undescribable, intangible ghost that no matter how hard they try, they'll never overcome. And, and they say, this is not a good thing. So this is all from our educational philosophy, because where is this notion of white privilege coming from? Well, it comes from the, what, Frankfurt School of Critical Social Theory, and it's a part of critical race theory, and it's a part of all of this uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, things that are going on in our society today, which are so damaging. They're so damaging. Finally, the last thing that's happened that caused us to get where we are as a society is this. It's a change in our diet and nutrition. And I think this is important to understand. For example, we know that there's an increase in autism among kids, right? And everybody says is that autism is a result of something chemically happening in the brain because it ha you see it in infants, right? You right. see it very, very early on. Uh, sometimes it's uh, uh, presented like a lack of verbal skill development or fascination with objects, whatever may be the case, right? right? You see it very, very early on. And they say something's happening in the brain, okay? And what's interesting is there's a lot of research being done on this right now. A lot of it is not conclusive yet. We need to do a whole lot more, and I hope that they discover more. 
But what we have begun to learn is that autism is more than just a genetic anomaly. In other words, the mom and dad's uh, genome didn't mesh properly. Mm. Now, that can be a contributing factor to it. But oftentimes, nutrition and diet of the mother have an impact on the brain development of the baby in utero. So now we need to be careful not to overstate the case. But research is starting to point to some of the chemicals that we put in our food or chemicals that exist naturally in our environment have an impact on the development of the cognitive functions of the baby in utero. So you add all this up together. How do we get here? Radical shift in agrarian manufacturing society to a sedentary society. A radical shift in our worldview, educational philosophy, and what it's been doing over the last 30, 40 years, change in our diets. All of these things add up and have an impact, right? What extent, we don't know yet, but I'm saying that I think these are significant factors. Therefore, once you understand these factors, you can begin to understand why there is an increase in mental health issues. And by understanding the derivation, meaning how these things got started, it makes it really difficult to stigmatize an individual, right? It's like we, we've raised a kid that has all of these factors against them, and they don't even know it, right? Right. And so it's really hard to say to that kid, oh, you know, we're just going to stigmatize you because you don't have your act together. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? And so that, that's really important. How can you tell a young person struggling, struggling with anxiety that's not a big deal, they shouldn't have it, when they were raised in a manner that creates anxiety, right? If they've been told that the earth is going to, you know, melt the ice caps and drown everybody, they're told this every year at Earth Day in their public school, that, that kid's, is, you've created anxiety in that kid, well, right? I mean, it's, I've, I've seen this more recently play out rapidly, which is after... The COVID lockdowns. Yeah, I was COVID's helping, a perfect example. I was helping with my old dance company, and I was taking some calls, and we used to do these, like, kids' uh, interaction per stuff. performances, yeah. right? And mm -hmm. so we'd go teach the kids a short number. They'd perform it in the show at the end of the week, right? Yeah. Well, I get a call from one of my former trainees who is now running these kids' programs. She's like bawling and she's like i don't understand like i can't get them to dance with each other i'm like well it's always like we're usually getting like middle schoolers in elementary yeah. and so it's a little awkward they got cooties i was like just give it another day just kind of like force them and again this is in oregon where yeah. they were under lockdown they were hardcore right? yeah and so then she calls me the next day she's still crying and she's like i just can't get them to get near each other mm -hmm. and i was like oh They've been told for two years straight yeah. that they will kill someone if, if they're they with, get yeah. within six, six feet, feet of, of somebody. Yeah, and so these kids have learned for two years, and one of the most important, you know, one of the most influential portions of learning yeah. in their mind that they're not allowed to be near another person for two years, and they're screaming and screaming that you'll kill someone. Yeah, I would see why they would. They maybe won't have dance some, with each other. Yeah, they would have some issues with getting close to another person if that's all they've heard for the last two years, and so and, you know that so, creates anxiety, yeah. that creates discomfort, that creates all these different things. And obviously, that's a case study that you know there could have been many other factors, but that feels pretty in line with what you're talking about. Where if all you're hearing and it's constantly screamed at, the world's ending, you don't matter, truth doesn't matter, all these things. Yeah, it's probably going to create some cognitive a lot dissonance. Of it, yeah, and you can't, like, to use your example, you can't go to that kid and say, oh, well, this is true. You know, about six weeks ago, Dr. Fauci on uh, 
a interview said, well, the six-foot thing has no science behind it. It was just a random thing that we just kind of imposed. You can't tell that kid there and go, okay, everything you've been told for the last two and a half, three years, uh, don't worry about it. Right. You, you have to have processes. You have to create systems to help people navigate their way out of it. So she's going to have to figure it out. She may not have enough time in this camp or this program to slowly get them to overcome these inbred fears that society inbred in them and created anxiety yep. in them. So my point in this is that we shouldn't be, uh, what should I say, upset or stigmatize the individual. If we're going to be upset about what's going on, we should be upset with our society for what it's doing to our kids. Mm, absolutely. I think understanding how we got here and the difference between what they're struggling with mm -hmm. And what they can do about it and knowing that there's something they could do about it right that's the yeah. other thing it's like most of the time these days everything bad that's happening to you is yeah you either have to take a drug which yeah. for some of them that is an accurate solution yeah or there is no solution at all yeah and you just have to deal with it right yeah and exactly like, and that gives no hope right we that gives about no that. hope so um I know we're going to be discussing this a lot over the next eight weeks, but in our, in our remaining time, I really want to talk about what some practical tools are for this whole process we're going to go through. Well, some of the tools that I think can help people, you know, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, sometimes people just don't have the tools to be helpful. You know, they don't know, yeah. well, how do I approach this problem, right? Well, uh, if once you have tools to kind of know how to help or support, it makes all the difference, right? And so let's give you some tools. Tool number one is what I call proper categorization, all right? And we're going to talk about this throughout this series called the four buckets, all right? And there's four buckets. There's situational, biological, clinical, and spiritual. Now, there's lots of different ways to create different buckets, and you can do different things. But we're going to use this one because the crossing came up with it. We're just going to kind of take what they came up with and say, we're going to go with it just to and help they, you have a tool, and right? They had psychological, they had Christian counselors that helped them. Yeah, had in, a lot of people work on so it. So this yeah. wasn't just something that they yeeted out into the universe. Right, yeah. So, but we're going to use it because we think it's uh, apropos to our situation. Um, number one, situational. Now, sometimes you're going to have a mental health uh, struggle in your life because of a situation, right? Uh, whenever there's change in your life, minor change or a major change, that creates loss, right? And whenever you have loss, that's pain and suffering, and that creates grief. You, and a lot of one of the problems is that we're having more mental health issues is because we've removed the process of grief for people, right? Mm -hmm. Number two is trauma. You know, there's a lot more trauma in our world today. You know, when I grew up, my mom, I was probably eight years old. My mom bought me a bicycle and said, don't come home until supper time, you know, in the summer. And I, we'd ride our bikes all over the neighborhood. We'd do all this stuff. When my kids were growing up, not on your life. Right. You know, when people are snatching kids off the street. And yeah. I always wanted to know where my kid was all the time. Yep. Now, society has changed. There's so much more trauma. The other thing, too, is that a lot of people don't realize is that child abuse has gone up, not down. And the number one indicator in uh, child abuse is drug abuse. You know, 80% of child abuse happens when people are high or drunk. And so that, that's what's really interesting is that a lot more trauma. What does trauma do? Well, it's a situation that creates mental 
health struggles, right? So it could be grief, it could be a trauma, it could be um, abuse, it could be any of these things. And when something negative happens, there's always going to be a time of recovery. And I think that you need to be aware of that. For instance, for me, a, a personal example is in 1987 on Christmas Day, my dad died of a massive heart attack, came in from a eight-mile run, fell over in this kitchen and died. So for the next probably five to eight years, Christmas Day, no matter how fun it was, was kind of depressing for me mm. because that's the day my dad died, right? But So you have to realize there's a time of recovery, and there will always be situational things that create mental health struggles. Right. It could be something as big as a loss of a family member or trauma, yeah. or it could be losing your job or yeah. even a breakup. Like, I think there's not to be understated, but it's like there's some times where if you're not quite sure how to process those emotions of a breakup, you've been in a relationship for a long time. Mm-hmm. That could put you into a, a depressive spell, right? Yeah. And that's okay as long as you're just working towards moving out of it. But that's situational. It's something external has caused that, and it's typically uh, yeah. temporary but can be longer. But All kinds of things create yes. mental struggle at some times you know yeah. you're gonna get depressed over things i mean sometimes your your pet passes away a family right. member passes away you lose a job you lose and you know that always happens yeah talk about the second bucket so we have situational yeah the second, second one's one. biological and this this has to do with proclivity you know um for instance uh seasonal depression impacts more some people more than others right right we become a very mobile society right and before you know, your your kind of your your ethnic, which was the skin color, was determined by pretty much where you lived. You grew up, born, you lived, you died there. But now we can live anywhere. Right. And so some people uh, have a lack of vitamin D production in the wintertime. You know, uh, some people like, you know, you go to Minnesota, you go up there to Wisconsin North. Those people are from Scandinavia and they love the winter. It's no big deal. You right. know, but you take somebody from the south and you put them up there. They're like. This is kind of depressing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, okay, well, that is a biological thing. Another biological thing, a perfect example of this is postpartum depression. You know, postpartum depression is worse in some females than others, right? right? That's called a proclivity. You know, we are, everybody's chemical makeup is different. And so we respond to different stimuli differently. And we need to be conscious of that, right? And, in, and we, we see that even just in metabolisms, right? Like yeah. some people can eat whatever yep. they want for their entire life and they'll never gain a pound. Yeah, some, that's people, not me. some people look at a donut and they <laughs> gain me. five pounds immediately, right? Immediately. And, you know, yeah. or, or it could be a proclivity to alcohol addiction or any number of other things. But that's the biological bucket, right? You have yeah. a, 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 a proclivity, proclivity and you this. need to be aware of that and then figure out how to mitigate that. Okay, talk to me about the third bucket. Well, the third one is what we they, they term as clinical, and I like it. And these these are basically chemical imbalances. We mentioned mentioned one in particular on Tuesday, and that is schizophrenia requires lithium. Right. And once you get lithium, what happens? You know, helps you balance out. You're you're basically a normal human being. You know, so it's the, the lack of what lithium did chemically in the brain. But there's uh, genetic imbalances or inconsistencies, right? Uh, it can be uh, nature-induced, right? Uh, it's really fascinating, but uh, maybe you've never heard of this, but it's called uh, there's children that have a reactive attachment disorder. And what's happened is now that there are things called international adoptions, 
what they're finding is some kids that are abandoned as babies and they're put like in Russia or China or whatever, they're put in an orphanage where they're never held, they're never touched, they're never nothing, right? Then when they're four or five years old, they're adopted, they come over, and then these children are unable to bond with another human being, right? And so they call this uh, reactive attachment disorder. So that was nature-induced, right? Mm. But it's still an issue, right? Right. It, and that's a clinical diagnosis that that needs to be dealt with uh sometimes you have mental health struggles because your brain chemistry was altered uh, altered by illicit drugs a lot of people are not aware of this is that cannabis is not a no symptom drug for people under the age of 24 mm. so if you use cannabis under the age of 24 it it really impacts your brain development and one of the biggest things that it creates uh in future adult life is what depression and anxiety there's all kinds of research coming out that's showing that now people who use it after they're 25 or 26 and their brain is developed don't have those issues and that's what the studies were based on early in the 80s you know and 90s when they said oh it's a harmless thing don't worry about it so now that doesn't mean there's issues when medical marijuana is important uh, as, as an option. But what I am saying is that clinically, sometimes our brain chemistry is altered by illicit drugs. Look at meth, look at cocaine, look at fentanyl, look at heroin, look at all these things. That, and so sometimes you have to figure out, regardless of the clinical diagnosis, what the actual proper treatment is. And if, you're, if you get into a place where your mental health issues are serious enough, you need clinical help. Remember how we talked about on Tuesday that it's very important as Christians that we not be Gnostics, right. where we split the spiritual and the physical? What we do is, well, we feel that they're all combined, so we need to have a treatment plan that covers them all. Holistic. Which leads, it's holistic, which comes to the fourth one, which is almost always overlooked in uh, mental health circles, and that's spiritual, right? Uh, you know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes to them, he goes, look, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful, okay, divinely powerful, there's a spiritual component here, for the destruction of fortresses. Okay, what is a fortress? Then he says, we are destroying speculation. A speculation is an idea, right? And every lofty thing raised up against what? The knowledge of God. So he's talking about what you're thinking, Right? right? There's thoughts and ideas that get into your head. He goes, and we're taking captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. These words, speculation, thought, uh, against the knowledge of God, are all phrases that talk about how you think influences your soul, and your soul influences what you think. And if you take that out of the equation of healing, then you're going to be, you know what I'm saying, you're going to be one leg short in the race to wholeness or the right. walk to wholeness. You're going to be hopping the whole way, basically. And so, like that quote from Carl Menninger, the famous psychiatrist who started a lot of sanatoriums and psychological hospitals, mental health uh, giant, you know, basically. He, his quote was, if I could convince the patients in this institution that they were truly forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the door the next day. I don't think there's a pill out there that you can take that's going to convince you you're forgiven. Mm. That doesn't exist. I don't know of any human therapy 
that can convince you you are forgiven unless that therapy is based on the promise of Jesus Christ. So we have to take into account the spiritual component as well. And the goal of this series, I think, is to say we need all of these buckets if we're going to really learn how to uh, communicate love, compassion, in a way that actually helps people find wholeness and healing, because that's our goal. Yeah, I think understanding this first tool, which is proper categorization and using these buckets, the situational, the biological, the clinical, and the spiritual, and understanding how they intermix and, and yeah. interact is super important for us to really reach people mm -hmm. and help them find healing and hope, right? Like we're trying to get both for them. So we're excited about where we're going in this series. I'm excited for your first message here on Sunday. I think it's going to be a powerful one, and I can't wait to see what God does with this series and how uh, transformative it's going to be for both the Foothills Church and for our Salty Pastor crew. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Make sure you tune in on Sunday for the first message in the Weeds in My Garden series, and we'll see you next week here on the Salty Pastor podcast. Blessings.